The western wall of Kotel Ma'aravi is really a section of the western wall of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And today, the Kotel Ma'aravi, or the western wall, is the most important spot in the world for Jews to pray. And Jews come from all over the world to pray there on, at the Kotel. Now, the truth is, the holiest spot in Judaism is really the Temple Mount. But we are unable to go on the Temple Mount today because Jewish law forbids us from going on the Temple Mount. So the Kotel, the Western Wall, is the closest that we can get to the Temple Mount. Yes, on the other side of the wall is the Temple Mount. It's a wall of the mountain. We're not, Jewish law forbids us from going onto the Temple Mount. Even if the mosque was gone. Even, Even the, the mosques being there means that the Arabs don't like us going up. But separate from that, Jewish law does not allow us to go up. We will, God willing, do a class on why we're not allowed to go up on the Temple Mount. I lived there and I went to the mosque. We're not allowed to. We're not allowed to. Well, I mean, I didn't, I went. So. So the, the, the Kotel has become a symbol of Judaism, and it's really the most important place in the world for Jews today. So what is the Kotel? So the Kotel is what would be called a retaining wall of the Temple Mount. When King Solomon first built the temple on Mount Moriah, now we call it a mountain, it probably should better be called a hill. It's not really a mountain. The mountain is the mountain of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem sits on a mountain. And the temp Mount Moriah is really a hill on the eastern edge of the mountain of Jerusalem, um, just north of Hartzion, Mount Zion, which is where the ancient city of Jerusalem was. So when he first built the temple on, temple on Mount Moriah, what he did was he flattened the hill, essentially turning it into a platform, a platform that was flat with walls around it, holding up the platform, retaining walls. And that's the way the Temple Mount was throughout the first temple period, the second temple period. Towards the end of the Second Temple, about a hundred years before the temp Second Temple was destroyed, or about 2,050 years ago um, or so, the uh, King Herod, who was a tyrant and a horrible king, but he loved grandeur and splendor, and he decided to rebuild the temple. And so he, there was already a temple there, but he rebuilt it. Um, and when he rebuilt the temple on top of the existing temple, he expanded the, te expanded the temple mount, uh, made it much bigger, and expanded the retaining wall of the temple mount to hold the mountain in place. Now, we haven't really been under the, under the temple mount. There's been a little excavation years ago, but not recently. But we believe, based on our tradition, that actually the temple mount itself is not solid. Underneath the platform, underneath the ground of the Temple Mount, it's described in the Talmud, they, or in the Mishnah, they built it, Kipin Akabe Kipin, or domes. So they essentially built these dome tunnels 
one on top of the other, and that's how they built um, that's how they built the floor of the Temple Mount around where the original hill was, and so where they expanded it. And so they had this. Um, so then they built these walls around it, the wall retaining walls um, were there to hold the Temple Mount in place. So these retaining walls are built by Herod. The walls, the Temple Mount, still stands today, although it's not clear that it's exactly the way it once was because it's gone through, the area's gone through a lot of changes. And um, the western wall, it's not clear which of the walls are the original, although some of them definitely are, most of them definitely are, but the western wall is definitely an original wall that was built by Herod. So the western wall of the Temple Mount is the largest and most magnificent of all the walls. It has magnificent stones that were built. And the way these walls were built was they are built with stone, limestone, because the city of Jerusalem, and for that matter, all the Judean mountains, which is the mountains around Jerusalem, are all stone. So if you dig below the dirt, you don't go very far, you hit stone. It's all stone. And it, it's limestone, which is a very soft stone, easy to carve stone. And so that's why everything in Jerusalem, there weren't a lot of trees, there weren't really forests in Israel, so they didn't really build with wood. Um, any wood they had was used as firewood. So they rather used, they built with stone, was very easily easy to get, easy to cut, and they built with limestone. And in Jerusalem, there are multiple quarries that we found where they dug out limestone for various buildings, including the Temple and the Temple Mount. So they built with these stones, and the way they built these stones is there's no cement holding the stones together as you usually would build. Rather, the stones are very, very heavy, very large, and they lock themselves into place. In other words, they're perfectly flat, and there's a rim around them, and so the stones essentially are locked into place, one sitting on top of the other, held by their own weight. So these are extremely large. The lower stones of the Kotel, which are the original stones of the Kotel, of the, of the western wall, are all about three feet high. Each one is three to four feet high. And they're all, they're different. The width is varies, but they, they're anywhere between three and 15 feet wide. Now these are very, very large stones. So now if you go to the Kotel Plaza, there are nine rows of these stones, three feet high stones, um, in the Kotel Plaza today. What you don't see though is, below the Kotel Plaza, there is another 19 rows of these stones below ground. In other words, the wall of the Kotel today is about 60 feet high, but below the plaza, there's another 60 feet of wall below it. So um, the, there are nine rows that are built by Herod, Herod stones, um, these massive stones. Above them are four rows of stones that are significantly smaller, and we believe were put up at a later period. We're not sure exactly when. There's various theories as to when these additional stones were added, but they were added at a later period. And then the last 
Um, then on top of that, there's 11 rows of very small stones at the very top that were added much, much later in the last few hundred years. They added, the Ottomans added those last um, rows of stones and essentially that raised the wall on the Temple Mount for their, where their mosques are. They want to raise the wall around it, so they raised the wall and added these extra um, lines of stone. Um, now between the crevices, because behind the stone is dirt, between the crevices there is grass growing through. Um, and you see the grass on the um, wall. When you go to the wall, you see grass kind of sticking out of the wall um, that comes out from the dirt on the other side. So when the temple stood on the Temple Mount, the temple itself was a rectangular building. In the front of the temple was first a what was called the ulam or um, or hall, uh, a hall in front of the temple. Then there was like a foyer. Then there was the main room of the temple where the menorah and the the candelabra and the altar, the golden altar for incense, and the table that had the showbread all stood. And then behind that, then at the end of that room there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was a room known as the Kodesh Kadashim, the Holy of Holies. During the first temple in that room stood the Ark of the Covenant that had the tablets of Moshe and the original Torah that Moshe had given us. During the second temple, the Ark was hidden and we did not have it. It was just empty. The high priest, the Kohen Gadol, would go into that room on Yom Kippur. When you entered the building of the temple, you entered on the eastern end, meaning that the Holy of Holies was on the western end of the temple. Now, the whole building itself was not on the center of the Temple Mount. The building itself, we are told, was towards the western side of the Temple Mount, very close to the western wall of the Temple Mount. In other words, when someone stands at the western wall, they are standing at the closest spot to the Holy of Holies outside of the Temple Mount. So the western wall is therefore, in a sense, if you want to stand, the closest spot you can get to the holiest place on the Temple Mount is at the western wall. And presumably that is the primary reason why we Jews always prayed of all the walls of the temple, we prayed at the western wall. But who told, when you say you were told, who told you that's what happened and that's where it was? Oh, we have a very, that's an excellent question. How do we know what the temple looked like? So we did some classes about the temple in the past. And what we, we mentioned then was that there are, um, we have many records. We have a book of the Mishnah called Midot, and we also have a Braita um, that goes into very, very great detail and many quotes in the Talmud, many great details of exactly what the temple looked like. We have a better description of the temple than any other ancient building from that period because we have a very, very detailed description, and that's why there are many today, there are um, mock-ups of the temple, um, models that were made of the temple, because we have a very good idea of what it looked like. So the holy, so Jews prayed at the temple wall, 
The Midrash in Shir Hashirim tells us, quoting the verse in Song of Songs, He is standing behind our wall. What does that mean? That the presence of Hashem is always behind the Western Wall. Since the Divine Presence was there, was found there in the Temple, the Divine Presence can always be felt at the Western Wall because God is found right behind it. Therefore, we are told, because the Divine Presence is found at the Western Wall, the Western Wall is never going to be destroyed. The Midrash in Eicha tells us that when the Roman Emperor captured Jerusalem, he had four generals. One was a general. These are Romans, but where they're coming from. One was from Arabia. One was a Roman legion, leader of a Roman legion, Arabia. One was from Africa. Africa usually means um, Western Africa, one from Alexandria, which is Egypt, and one from one um, from uh, Palestine, which is you know the one that garrisoned from the land of Israel. And he divided the destruction of the Temple Mount into each of those generals. Each one had to destroy another section of the Temple Mount. Three of them destroyed their section, but the fourth, whose role it was to destroy the western side, failed to destroy the western wall. When the Roman emperor saw that he failed to destroy it, he said, why didn't you listen to me? So the general said, oh, I was thinking of your honor. I wanted in years to come, people will say he captured the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the great temple. People will think it wasn't such a big temple, it wasn't such a big deal. So I left the remnants that people always know how great your, what you did was. And so he said, excellent answer. But because you didn't listen to me, I will give you a test. You will have to jump off the wall. If you survive, I'll let you live. If you don't, then too bad. Regardless, the, um, the, uh, the Roman emperor did not destroy the Western Wall. and We still have the Western Wall today. So once the temple was destroyed and Jews could no longer pray at the Temple Mount, they would go to the edge of the Temple Mount, to the Western Wall, to pray. Now, not long after the destruction of the temple, there was another uprising called the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. We once did a class about the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, um, or Ben Kuziba Rebellion. Um, it was about 60 years after the destruction of the temple. And after that rebellion, the Romans brutally crushed the Jewish community in Israel so that they will never rebel again including banning Jews from the city of Jerusalem and turning the city of Jerusalem into a Roman center. So Jews were not allowed to live in the city of Jerusalem. Later, um, later the Rome converted to Christianity and the Christians did not like Jews. They, now Jerusalem became a holy city for Christians. They had some important churches there. And so um, they did not allow Jews to live there in the city of Jerusalem. They were allowed to visit various occasions. They were not allowed to live there generally. It wasn't until the early 600s, the Persians briefly captured Jerusalem and allowed Jews to settle there. The Romans, though, captured it back and they slaughtered all the Jews that they found. And then, a couple years later, in the mid-600s, the Arabs captured Jerusalem. When the Arabs captured Jerusalem, they allowed Jews to settle in Jerusalem. Um, they themselves built two mosques on the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock 
in the center of the mount and the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the southern end of the mount. Which over the mosque, the one that has the gold roof, right? It has the gold roof, I've yes. Seen it. Yes, you can see when you go to Jerusalem. And so they built two mosques. Jews, they allow Jews to resettle in Jerusalem, and Jews then would again continue to pray at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. We have a record from Benjamin of um, Tudela. Benjamin of Tudela requires his own class. We could do a class on him. He was a Jewish um, traveler who traveled around the world then, um, before Marco Polo did, and uh, had wrote in great detail all about Jews around the world and Jewish communities around the world. And when he came to Jerusalem, he describes over there how Jews pray on at the Western Wall. And so over the years, Jerusalem went through many different rulers. It was fought between the Crusaders and the Arabs and back to the Crusaders and back to the Arabs and the Mongols took it. It, was, it went through a lot of wars and battles. And during that time, the Jewish community in Jerusalem went up and down because often they were killed or expelled. And um, Jerusalem really became a... Um, Jerusalem went through so much battle and so many wars that there was never really a solid, stable, long-term Jewish community. It wasn't until the 1500s, in the early 1500s, the Ottoman Turks captured Jerusalem. And they allowed Jews to live freely now in Jerusalem. Jews were able to live there freely. And, um, but Jews had not lived there for many years because of the many wars um, and uh, violence in Jerusalem. Is there a lot of Turkish Jews? Is there any? Yes. Okay, so the, Jew, the Turkish people are the Jews? I don't know. But they did that. They did that. They did that. So, <laughs> the story is told that when the Sultan came to Jerusalem, this is Sultan Solomon, who was the Sultan who captured Jerusalem, when he came to Jerusalem, they didn't know where the Western Wall was. They didn't know where it was. And he ordered his people to look for it. And they looked for it, and they couldn't find it. They came. And then he saw a woman coming from Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a town just south of Jerusalem. And Bethlehem is a, well, it was, till fairly recently, it was a Christian town. And so they have some, whole, they have some churches, important churches there. So he sees a woman coming from Bethlehem with a pile of garbage. And she brings it, and he says, where are you going with that? What is that? She says, it's garbage. He said, where are you going with that? She said, I'm going to bring it to the dump in Jerusalem. He says, where are you coming from? Bethlehem. You're going from Bethlehem all the way to Jerusalem? You don't have a garbage dump in Bethlehem? She says, no, this is what we've always been doing. We bring all our garbage here and dump our garbage here. And he said, let's dig this out. And so they dig it out. And sure enough, behind it is the Western Wall. Yeah, what must have happened is the Christians wanted, were very anti-Jewish. They didn't want Jews to have access to the Western sure, Wall. So and so over hundreds of years, they hid it from us, and Jews did not even know where it was. After that, he ordered it cleaned. The Western Wall was clean. And from then on, and he expanded it, as we said. And from then on, um, we had um, access to the Western Wall. 
And from then on, from the days of um, from the days of the Ottoman reign over Jerusalem, we had a permanent presence. Jews were a permanent presence in Jerusalem. In fact, not long after that, Jews were already there. Were, there weren't a lot of people living in Jerusalem because they'd gone through so much violence. Um, Jews were a majority and have been a majority of the population. Jerusalem ever since has been Jewish. So the Kotel, the Western Wall, became a place where Jews would go and pray near the temple. And what year was this? We started praying. 1500s. 1500s when the Jewish, permanent Jewish community in Jerusalem really was established okay. with the Ottoman conquest. Okay, so in the, many, in like in the, okay, in the 70s. So in the 18th, I'm going to get to in the 18th century, 1700s, a group of Arabs from Morocco made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they brought money with them. They were part of an Arab cult or an Arab group. And they purchased from the governor of Jerusalem at the time. They wanted an area. There was an open to live. There was an open area right in front of the Western Wall, perfect spot. They purchased the this was called the Maghrabi Waqf, or the Maghrabi, the, West, the Moroccan Trust. When they purchased this area in front of the Western Wall, which had been empty, they purchased it from the, um, from the governor of Jerusalem, and that is now their home. And so they build houses over there in this area in front of the Western Wall, and they leave just a very, very narrow alley between the end of their homes and the Western Wall. It's not clear if the Jews had anything they could do about it or tried to do anything, we don't know. But now, instead of having a large plaza in front of the Western Wall, it was now just a very narrow alleyway, a couple feet wide, about 10, 15 feet wide, a narrow, a narrow alleyway and this alleyway was all that they could pray in. They didn't have large areas to pray. When Jews would come, it'd be very crowded. They'd be really crowded because they're praying in this narrow, narrow alleyway. And so it was very difficult. In addition, over time, this area, which became in Arabic, Morocco and Arabic is Maghreb. So this area became known as the Maghrabi quarter, the Maghrabi neighborhood. The Maghrabi neighborhood became the slums of Jerusalem. So the area right next to the Temple Mount was slums. Right next to the Western Wall was slums. With only a very narrow, inhabited by Arabs. On the other side of those slums was Jews, was the Jewish quarter. But between the Jewish quarter and the Western Wall was slums that known as the Maghrabi, inhabited by Arabs. So Jews had to go through the slums and only had this narrow place to pray. And the Arabs would harass them when they would go through. They would throw things at them. They would attack them. Even when they're praying, they would attack them. It was not pleasant. But the Arabs controlled the city. There wasn't much that the Jews could do. In 1887, Edmund Rothschild was um, the French Roth, uh, father of the Rothschild family who gave a huge amount of money to help establish the new Yishuv, the new Jewish settlement in, um, in the land of Israel, the kibbutzim, the new, um, the new uh, farming settlements throughout the land of Israel. And so he visited Israel and he visited Jerusalem and he was really 
upset about this. The Kotel, the Western Wall, the holiest place for Jews in the world, is this narrow alleyway with these slums behind it. And so he went to the leaders of the Maghrabi Trust, the trust that owned this property, and he offered to pay 50,000 francs, which was a huge sum back then. Um, and uh, he would use that to purchase land outside of the walls of Jerusalem. At that point, the city had already expanded outside the walls. And he'll purchase land and he'll build a big, beautiful neighborhood with beautiful homes for every person living in the slums will get a beautiful home in exchange. And they'll give the Jewish community back this whole area. So unfortunately, they actually agreed to it. They liked the idea, right? Getting new homes. Unfortunately, there were some Jewish leaders that did not, were not thrilled about the idea, didn't like the idea, thought maybe they, wouldn't, they would lose control themselves over Jerusalem. And so some Jewish leaders stopped the plan. And as a result, they continued. The slums stayed there. And there was still just this very narrow passageway in front of the Western Wall. Jews would go there and continue to go there to pray. Again, a couple years later, in 1912, Again, um, Jews stepped forward um, and were, came up with, we're going to rehash um, out this plan to build a new neighborhood and build homes for all the Arabs in the slums. And each one will get a beautiful home. And in exchange, the Jewish community will get this area where they can tear down the homes and reopen the plaza again. Unfortunately, before the plan came to fruition, World War I broke out and therefore it did not happen. During World War I, the British took control of the land of Israel from the Ottomans. They took control of much of the Middle East from the Ottomans. And um, in order to get Jewish support, the uh, British declared that they were going to build a Jewish state in the land of Israel. And then when the League of Nations, the predecessor of the UN, was created following World War I, the, the British really wanted to hold Israel. They wanted it to be theirs because it was very close to the Suez Canal. They wanted, they wanted the land of Israel. So the League of Nations allowed, um, the League of Nations um, gave the land of Israel to the British. They called it Palestine, the mandate for Palestine, with the, a mandate that they would build a Jewish state. The Jews were not yet ready for a state, as they, they claimed. So the British will help them build this, control the land and help them build the state. As soon as the British got control of it, they um, quickly set about, they said, one second, there's Jews here, there's Arabs here. We can't just give the Jews a state and the Arabs will miss out. And so they essentially um, went back on their plan to give the Jews a state. And they worked very hard in order to retain control of it to build at first, at 1918, Jews and Arabs actually were getting along very well and even had signed an agreement of how to split the land. And um, the British um, fomented hatred between Jews and Arabs and violence um, in order to um, be able to keep their control over the land because they were keeping the peace. And so um, as a result, the, how do you get the Arabs upset at the Jews? So the British spread rumors and they got Arab 
um, imams to preach and claim that the Jews are trying to destroy the mosques. So much so in 1929, they claimed that the Jews had torn down the mosques. Uh, there's a rumor went out, this is before Twitter, but a rumor went out all across Israel, across Arab Israel, and it led to pogroms where um, dozens of Jews were killed across the country in pogroms where the Arabs attacked the Jews all over uh, with British encouragement. So as a result, the Arabs were very scared that the Jews were going to destroy the mosques. They didn't want the Jews anywhere near the Temple Mount, and they wanted the Jews not to be able to go to the Western Wall. So the Jews protested, and so the British made a compromise that the Jews can go to the Western Wall. They're not allowed to pray there. You're allowed to walk past. You can't stop and pray. If they catch anyone praying, you get in trouble. You cannot blow the chauffeur there. They could not bring partitions to separate men and women. They couldn't um, bring chairs to sit down there. Now let's sit. It's just a road. You could just—it's an alley. You could just walk past. You could, you want to stand on the road? You can stand there, but you can't pray. So that was the rules that they made, and Jews would pray anyway, and they would get arrested, and they would blow the chauffeur and bring. And it was a lot of cat and mouse between British soldiers that were always guarding and making sure that the Jews could not pray at the Western Wall, and Jews attempting to pray over there, nevertheless and blowing the chauffeur there, and then running away from the British, and the British would run after them, and it became a cat and mouse, not a serious one, because they would get arrested. Um, and so then in 1948, finally the British agreed to leave, but they decided to hand over Jerusalem to the Arabs. It led to a war between the Jews and the Arabs called the War of Independence, and in that war, Israel lost the old city of Jerusalem. And the Arabs now controlled the old city of Jerusalem. All the Jews living in the old city were expelled from the old city. All the synagogues were destroyed. All the synagogues were destroyed. The cemetery in the old city on the, on the uh, Mount Olives was destroyed. And um, the no, but no Jew was allowed to visit the Kotel. In fact, the Jordanians who controlled the city banned Jews from visiting Jerusalem or really from even entering the country of Jordan. Jews were not allowed to go in. Some Jews pretend to be American tourists and were able to sneak in, but generally Jews were not allowed to go. It was only in 1967, during the Six-Day War, that the Jews recaptured, Israel recaptured the city of, the old city of Jerusalem, and they recaptured the Temple Mount and the Western Wall. And there is um, famous pictures of paratroopers at the Western Wall. As soon as they reached the Western Wall, the rabbi of the military at the time, Rabbi Shlomo Goren, came quickly to the Western Wall with a chauffeur, and he blew the chauffeur over there. That, um, a few days later, the, almost immediately, Israel decided to destroy the Maghrabi neighborhood, that neighborhood that had been built 200 years earlier, um, where there had been a plaza in front of the Western Wall, and they destroyed that, they tore down that neighborhood, and they um, created what today is the Western Wall Plaza that is in front of the Western Wall between the, old, the Jewish quarter of the old city and the Western Wall. They made it really nice. They um, made a stone flooring to it, and um, that is the Western Wall today. After the Six-Day War, Jews in very, very great numbers streamed to the Western Wall. Jews had not been able to visit the Western Wall since 1948 for 19 years. 
Before that, they hadn't been able to pray properly at the Western Wall since the British took control of it in 1918, 30 years earlier. Sorry, um, um, not 30, um, uh, 49 years earlier. This is 1967, right? So 40, 49 years earlier. And they hadn't, there had been, there had been a narrow alleyway and they hadn't had the freedom of worship for some 200 years. And so Jews flocked to the Western Wall. Now in the days before the Six-Day War, in those days before the Six-Day War, Jews around the world were very afraid. Israel was surrounded by enemies on all sides. They were greatly outnumbered by the Arabs. The Arabs had the support of the Soviet Union at the time, so they had a ready supply of weapons. Israel didn't have any country supporting it. The United States was not much of a supporter of Israel back then. And it was a very small country of only less than three million people. And they were surrounded by hundreds of millions of people, of Arabs, wanting to attack them. And everyone was very afraid that Israel would be destroyed in the Six-Day War. And in those fearful days leading up to the Six-Day War, the Rebbe called on Jews around the world to wrap tefillin. Those who don't wrap tefillin every day should begin to wrap tefillin. And people should go around on street corners or wherever you can. If you meet a Jew, ask them, offer them to wrap the tefillin. Jewish men, offer them to wrap the tefillin. And um, the Rebbe's followers spread out all over the, all over the world, all over Israel, in Israel itself, and were on the streets and were wrapping tefillin with people. And many Jews in those fearful days wrapped tefillin. And then the Six-Day War broke out and miraculously, God, um, he once did a course on the Six-Day War, but miraculously, um, God helped Israel win over the, their enemies in only six days and triple the size of their land in just six days. So after the Six-Day War, the Rebbe said, don't stop with the tefillin, keep going. Keep wrapping tefillin on Jewish men. And so as people were streaming to the Kotel, to the Western Wall, there were some of the Rebbe's followers stood there at the Western Wall where everybody was coming and inspired, and they offered them to wrap tefillin there. And so all the Jewish men who came to the Western Wall were all wrapping the tefillin. And so what happened was with time, they were there every day, these volunteers who were helping people wrap tefillin. And with time, they put a stand together and they became more, they got their own spot there in the Western Wall Plaza. And it became a fixture of the Western Wall, that whenever you go to the Western Wall, there's a stand over there, there's, a, there's like a small booth where you can wrap everybody's ass to wrap tefillin. And it's become today, it's become a part of the routine. People go to the Western Wall, people come from all over the world, and from all over Israel, of course, Jews, non-Jews, but when Jews come to the Western Wall, they come to pray, see the remnants of the temple. When they come to the Western Wall, they wrap the tefillin. In fact, whenever I see people, and I ask them if they've ever wrapped tefillin before, they, the most common answer I get is I wrapped at the Western Wall. That's where people wrapped the tefillin. So the Western Wall has now, in the years since, become synonymous with the tefillin wrapping. But we pray that very soon, God will bring Moshiach 
and he will rebuild the temple and we will no longer have to pray at the wall of the, of the temple mount. We will be able to go on the temple mount and into the temple and we will be able to pray over there.